0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today Peter Volk, who is the president and founder of Equip Ministries. Uh, Equip is uh, a ministry that is designed to help churches become places where LGBT plus Christians uh, can belong and thrive, according to a traditional sexual ethic. Peter is a graduate of Vanderbilt University, uh, he he graduated high, the highest honors in chemistry. He also did some theological studies at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. He's a licensed counselor, uh, super, super smart dude, and is doing great, great work through this uh, ministry, Equip, which is based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff in this podcast related to uh, sexuality and singleness and even marriage and, uh, marriage and, um, and this really fascinating community of brothers who he is living with called the Nashville family of brothers. It's kind of like a, uh, kind of Protestant ish, uh, monastic ish community of people who are called to vocational, Singleness, and it's fa- it's really fascinating what they have going on here. So I'm excited for you to engage this conversation, and and I do encourage you to check out Peter's uh, ministry, Equip, and the fa- the National Family of Brothers. There'll be notes in the um, uh, links in the show notes. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, if you can't or don't want to support the show, uh, but you want to leave a review, would love to hear your thoughts. Please do leave a review. It helps. It helps spread awareness of Theology in the Raw. Um, or if you don't want to leave a review, you don't want to support the show, then get out of here. What are you doing? Just kidding. It's a free podcast. You can stay as long as you want. Um, would you consider uh, sharing <laughs> uh, an episode or something on your social media accounts? Let her, If you find a, an episode that you found to be helpful, a helpful conversation, then uh, please do consider uh, letting others know about it. So, all right. Without further ado, I want you to welcome to the show for the first time my good friend, Peter Walk. All right. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I'm here with my friend, Peter Balk. Peter, thanks so much for being on the show, man.
1: Yeah, glad to be here.
0: So uh, why don't we give, why don't you just give a short backstory to who you are and how you kind of fell into, fell into, <laughs> how, how you start, began this ministry at Equip in Nashville. And then I really want to spend some time um, talking about the Nashville family of brothers. I think that's just such an interesting, unique, thing that you guys have going on. And I I get a lot of questions in my own work about something like what you guys are doing. And so I often point people to, to the National Family of Brothers as, as an example of, of a, of a possibility, um, of vocational singleness and community. So yeah. Uh, who, who is Peter Volk and, uh, tell us about Exodus or uh, Exodus. Oh man, (laughs) equip, (laughs) not Exodus.
1: (laughs) No worries. Yeah. So long story short, uh, I, I'm a Christian and I'm gay and I'm a convinced of a, of a traditional sexual ethic that God's best for, for me and for every Christian is, is either a, a lifetime commitment of um, abstinent singleness for the sake of doing a kingdom work or a lifetime commitment to Christian marriage between a man and a woman to, to raise kids for the kingdom. And I think that's God's best for, for me, too. Um, and so a lot of my life has been making sense of my sexuality and God's wisdom and how to make that work together um, so much so that I, I felt like God was calling me to to be a part of that work of mm-hmm. teaching parents and pastors how to better love and serve uh, people like me according to a traditional sexual ethic so mm-hmm. that's my day job um, I run a ministry called equip and we uh, partner with churches to help them become places where gay people can uh, belong and thrive according to a traditional sexual ethic and then I'm also a a licensed professional counselor. And I meet with, uh, a, for like a half day a week with clients navigating questions of faith and sexuality. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm part of helping build the Nashville family of brothers. Um, we are a, 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 a monastery, a, a, an intentional Christian community, a brotherhood where men called to uh, vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom, can find lived in, Permanent family, um, and I really believe in this conversation about uh, discernment um, and 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 how those in vocational singleness can find family in our churches and 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 hear uh, the the stories in scripture about their pathway in scripture or excuse me in church. So so yeah, that's a little bit about uh, me.
0: Now uh, I, I love how casually you're talking, but I, as you know, you have said probably five very controversial things. Uh, (laughs) let me, let me just run through those. You have no problem calling yourself gay. Um, why, why, um, and you and I are on on the same page with that. I, I, you know, obviously if you're committed to vocational singleness because of a Christian sexual ethic, your gayness is not your ultimate identity. Jesus is your ultimate identity. But, um, have you why are you okay using the term "gay" rather than I? You know, I struggle with same-sex attraction or something like that. You know, you know the debate I'm referring to.
1: Yeah, uh, the well, my primary audience, the people I speak to or on behalf of, are uh, kids in our churches who will one day realize they experience same-sex attraction, or teenagers in our churches who are gay, and and I want to use the language that. That they're most familiar with, that they're going to hear in school, and I want to teach parents and pastors to use uh, the to know how to use the words that, um, that that their kids are using, because there's so many barriers already to to inviting our kids to steward their sexualities according to a traditional sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hate for language to be just another barrier, just another reason right. for gay teens to think what God has to say is irrelevant. So,
0: okay, good. You also said. Um... This is a finer point that I did notice, though. You said that the traditional sexual ethic is not just... I've heard some people say, you know, this is what God's calling me to. But you made it more objective. Like, this is what God's calling all of his followers to. Do you use that language intentionally? Because I've heard people say, no, you know, I'm called to singleness, but they don't want to take the next step to say, no, all people are called to celibacy in singleness unless they are called into marriage. Was that an intentional description of the ethic?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I do think it's God's best for, for all Christians. Um, and, uh, and that's why I'm, I'm convinced of it. And, okay. uh, and, and I, because I think it's God's best, I want every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ to also lean into God's best okay. because I want good things for them. And that's what it means to, to love someone is the, is to will the good for them, you know? So, uh, yeah.
0: I, so, I mean, uh, there's some people, maybe not, too many. Well, some in my audience. I, I I have some more progressive people than you or I. You listening to the podcast. It's funny on, on the on the spectrum of evangelicalism. Um, my podcast seems to be for some people as liberal as they will go, and then for other people, I'm as conservative as they will go. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I quite enjoy that uh, that that interesting space. But um, some people are just don't have a category for the God's best, like, okay, maybe it's mo- maybe you think it's morally right. Maybe you are interpreting scripture that way, but you cannot say that this is like the best way to be human, to deny your desires for another person in a consensual relationship. Like, I'm sure you get that. How, how, how would you re- respond to that? To that? Um, yeah, I guess I
1: don't know anything with certainty. Um, but I also don't want to just, uh, make myself God and, and trust that I know what's best for me. Hmm. Um, and so I'm seeking the scriptures. I'm seeking the wisdom of the church, uh, through reason and through experience, uh, what is most likely to be God's best for, for all people, including me. But if then, if I'm convinced that that's, that's God's best for me, uh, um, it, it just makes sense that I'd offer that to others. So, and there's some ideas here that are, mutually exclusive with with each other you know there's some ways in which a traditional sexual ethic and a progressive sexual ethic can't be true at the same time God can't be of both minds hmm. and so if God is of one mind I want to know of which mind God is um and then I want to offer that to the people I love
0: in your journey did you ever like consider or become almost convinced of maybe a, a more progressive sexual ethic? Um, I'm sure you, I mean, I, I know you, you're a very intelligent person. You're very, very, i you know, you're going to study something to the depths, you know, um, I think is how you're, wired. how I'm wired. is how you're wired. Um, just briefly, what was your journey like as you, I'm sure you weighed, you know, uh, an affirming progressive position.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say growing up, I held a traditional sexual ethic, 50% of because of what the Bible said, and fifty percent because of cultural pressure, hmm. and and then God has just been really faithful that over time, God has replaced that fifty percent belief from cultural pressure with fifty percent more, uh, you know, healthy conviction of mm-hmm. this is what God has to say through Scriptures and through the Church. Okay. Um, and, and, and a lot of that journey has been me wanting a progressive sexual ethic to be true mm-hmm. and me giving the best argument for a progressive sexual ethic, the best chance it could have of, of changing my mind
0: because yeah.
1: it would certainly be more convenient for me. Yeah. Um, and then every time I do that, um, I just become more deeply convinced, uh, of what the, the church has taught historically. Now I've certainly made plenty of mistakes in my lifetime. Um, I've been convinced intellectually and theologically of a traditional sexual ethic consistently. Um, unfortunately I'm a sinner uh, and, and I've, and I've inconsistently, I've unfaithfully at times lived that out. Um, so, so I want to make that clear.
0: Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, us straight people, we actually have nailed it. We, we don't, yeah, we, we really don't fall short of God's standard (laughs) being obviously sarcastic. Um, okay. Well, one, one other thing you said, and and then we'll get to the meat of the conversation. Um, I, I I actually am, I'm, I, I, like, although, well, I do like, and I'm intrigued by your way of framing marriage. Uh, you know, you have, uh, uh, you're called to celibacy in singleness, but you said, and yet, there's those who are called to a male-female marriage. You, but you said, for the purpose of raising kids for the kingdom, that sounds very, very Catholicish. And I've I've had this conversation publicly a few times, and I'm actually leaning more toward that direction. Uh, where I'm at now, it's, I would say. Well, first of all, did you intentionally say it that way? <laughs> Which <laughs> you're not known to be unintentional in your language, so I, I'm going to assume yes. Yeah. But is, is that is that you is that your Understanding of marriage that that raising kids is is part of that vocation, in as much as yeah, it's possible. So I'll I read mean,
1: things about that. Yeah, I would say raise children and not necessarily bear children, because there are many couples that are, are painful, painfully dealing with the reality of infertility. And I don't want them to hear that I think they're a, a lesser marriage because they're unable to bear children. But it does seem like through the teachings of scripture and the church historically that marriage is a is a vehicle in part, for raising kids for the sake of the kingdom. Now, that's not the only good or beautiful thing about marriage. Obviously, it's a space to enjoy intimacy in the context of family. Obviously, it's an image uh, that teaches us about the love in the Trinity and between Christ and the church. Um, But I think the vocational singleness is also a call to enjoy healthy intimacy in the context of human family. And I think vocational singleness is also a call to, in unique ways, be an image, a reflection of the love in the Trinity between Christ and the church. So the reason why I describe vocational singleness and Christian marriage in the way I do is I want to point out what's unique about them, right? And I think what's unique about Christian marriage is that it is a space to to raise children uh, for the sake of the kingdom. And what's unique about vocational singleness is it's a call to give up romance, sex, marriage, kids, in order to have this availability to do kingdom work that parents might not have the time, energy, or financial freedom to do. Recognizing that raising kids is obviously an essential and awesome kingdom work. Um, But I've got uh, parents um, and, and married friends with kids who recognize that that it's a full-time job being a parent. And there's lots of kingdom work out there to be done that they just don't have the time or energy to do because they're doing that important work of raising kids. Yeah,
0: that's good. I I have yeah, you know, I was raised traditional low church evangelical where, you know, procreation was over here and sex was over here and um and just up until the invention of the pill, that that never was even like sex and marriage and procreation were all one part of the same discussion and even i mean just right. just through natural law it's like yeah obviously whoever created this thing called sex kind of built in a component of procreation that's sort of <laughs> sort of a kind of intertwined with it and maybe there's theological reasons for that i i i'm not quite like i don't what would you say about and i don't want to get too far on this isn't really why i wouldn't have you on but i you've thought through this okay. and, and i don't have a lot of people that i think are, are protestant but thinking similar to would I, how I'm at least processing, um, what would you say to say like a, a couple in old age, past age of child rearing, they've been single their whole life, then they get married and having biological kids is not really a, a possibility. And maybe they're like, yeah, we don't really feel like we want to adopt kids at 55 years old or whatever. Um, sure. would you say that that's kind of like an exception to the rule? Or would you say, no, I mean, then if you're not called to have raised kids, maybe you're not called to marriage or how, how would you respond to that?
1: Yeah, definitely exception to the rule category or uh space there. Okay. So, yeah, w- when I gave that kind of more teased out definition of a traditional sexual ethic and God's best for all Christians, it was kind of as a rule, okay. Th- this is what it looks like and there are exceptions to okay. the rule. Okay. So, Um, including, you know, for example, there, there'll be, there'll be families that are, are infertile and will prayerfully explore with God. God, do you still want us to, to adopt kids, to foster kids? Do you want us to, to not raise kids in that way, but be involved Mm -hmm. in, in our, in, in our church family in, 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 in with this capacity? Um, so, so yeah, there are definitely exceptions to the rule.
0: Let me um, let me speak yeah. on behalf of my progressive friends who are listening right now. Well, Peter, you make an exception for that. Wouldn't you make an exception for a gay couple that is committed to each other? That this isn't maybe the general pattern of marriage in Scripture, but maybe maybe they want to adopt four or five kids, and there's plenty of needs for adoption, and and there's not enough straight couple or heterosexual couples to go around to adopt all these kids. Like, would, would why would you say that is outside the bounds of an exception to the rule? Uh, sure.
1: Yeah, so it makes sense to me that some people called to vocational singleness may still be, and celibacy, may still be called to to foster or adopt. I mean, we certainly see that in the history of the church, uh, nuns were the people running the orphanages. So, you know, as a rule— vocational singleness isn't a space to, to, to foster and adopt kids. But there are going to be some some people called the vocational singleness who are called to, to raise kids. And that may be a, a gay person called the vocational singleness. That may be a couple of gay people called the vocational singleness and living together and kind of they see themselves as a family unit and raise some kids together, not, not telling that kid or their church that they think that the thing they're doing is marriage, but that they are, as a community, helping raise some kids. Um, but it does seem to me, if we look at the wisdom in Scripture and what, what God says is his best and what God says is, is is sin and will lead us to to pain and destruction, and uh, it doesn't seem like that's an accommodation God could make. But I think these, these questions about consistency yeah. from from more progressive folk is really important because mm-hmm. it's true. If, if we're going to make accommodations or we're going to kind of uh, ignore— uh, what scripture's wisdom is for, for straight people, um, mm-hmm. then we need to be willing to do that for gay people. Or if we think, ah, God's wisdom really matters. And we just can't, we can't fudge this line for gay people. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we need to have a similar conversation when it comes to straight people and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and channeled rearing and, and unbiblical divorce and second marriages for Christians and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I, I don't want to open up more cans of worms. No, but I think.
0: Yeah. You, well, you, you already did by referencing And I thought, I'm just going to let my audience Linger on it and I'll I'll linger on it because we do, I do want to get into, but uh, just to make sure I heard you right, you would be on paper, like you would not say it's outside the bounds to have two celibate gay people, um, raising kids together, not as a married couple, but as a committed friendship. And then they're both as, as a community raising kids. Is that? I just want to make sure I heard you right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as we'll probably get to, I think the I think it'd be wiser if there's more than two adults in the house. Uh, I think it's hard when people are paired Uh um, for them not to 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 see some exclusivity in their in their in their friendship. um, And for that exclusivity, not to invite them to think of the other romantically. So I think it's probably uh, would, would might be wiser for them for them to be a community of more than two. Um, and, but yeah, I, I know of some people who, uh, are, are gay and people of the same sex and who, uh, live in the same house together, sleep in different beds, sleep in different bedrooms, invite accountability from their church about Mm -hmm. their relationship are clear to their kids and to their church. We don't see ourselves as, as married in the eyes of God, Mm -hmm. but we, we, but we see ourselves as friends and, and who, who God is calling us to help raise Mm -hmm. a foster or foster and adopt these kids that, that, that others won't, and that won't have a family if we uh-huh. don't.
0: Uh, do you so. think that that's confusing for the kid? Like, do you, or is that just kind of one of the, like, what well, wouldn't the kid interpret that as I have two dads and I mean, it's not like the kid knows whether or not they're engaging in a sexual relationship at a, I mean, um,
1: yeah. I mean, it probably would, it would require those, those two parents to be uh, really clear in age appropriate ways, what this is, what this isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it, there may be times that it's confusing. Um, yeah. But I, I don't, as, 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 I'm, as you speak to a lot uh, in different contexts, uh, we work, we're not going to be able to avoid confusing images for our kids. Yeah. Instead um, so we need to be prepared to to provide clarity and, and yeah. wisdom.
0: All right. Well, I, I, I gotta think about that one. That, that's uh. Yeah, that's... I, I get the question about celibate uh, partnerships quite a, quite a bit. What do you think about two single people committed to celibacy who are... Um, cu- uh, the, and the terminology differs w- with the question. I, I'm not comfortable with the term partnership just because that does convey in our culture today a sexual relationship, but a covenanted friendship or something like that I think is not only okay, I think it's beautiful and very biblical, obviously. Um and I think I, I wish we had more covenanted friendships just across the board among humans, you know, especially the church. So yeah. um, I think friendships are Absolutely. too fleeting and too non-committal, um, and I think that's problematic. So um, okay, so let let's let's transition. I, I know my audience is like, what about this? What about that? But I well, and
1: I, if I could. Like I can say really briefly. Right, I mean, as a, as a rule, I think the best way in space to do vocational singleness is the way I described it it earlier. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's, I think it's challenging if you're in a. I think sometimes celibate partnerships seem to uh, invite. Uh, romance. E- e- even they say, oh, we can enjoy romance as, as long as we in- don't enjoy sexual activity. Or, or they see what they're doing as a, as a replacement for marriage in some way, mm-hmm. and 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 and, um, and exclusivity is something they want, and they wouldn't allow others to join this kind of community of two to become a community of three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. And I think there's ways in which that seems to me incompatible with with the model of spiritual friendship we see in scripture. So that's not okay. what I'm suggesting Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as well, as I know, we'll get to, I live in a community of men, um, and who hold each other accountable, who don't see ourselves as partnered or paired in any way. Um, uh, and I think this is a really healthy way for people to live out vocational singleness and find yeah. healthy family.
0: Well, yeah, let's dive in there. So yeah, the Nashville family brothers, uh, describe to us what that is, how it came about and how, how it's going.
1: Yeah. So three or four years ago, um, I've, felt convinced that God was calling me to kind of commit in a, in a permanent way to the kind of singleness that Jesus and Paul talks about. Um, but I was curious how I was going to find fa- the family I needed to do that well, how I was going to meet my intimacy needs in healthy ways. And I was talking to the pastor at my church about that, and uh, I'm really thankful for his honesty. He said, you know, Peter, unfortunately, I don't know if you're going to find the experience of family you need at our church or any church in Nashville anytime soon, um, but I think you should go build it. Uh, and he said, monasticism has been the most common way that celibate people have found family. It's been the greatest source of theology in the church. It's been the greatest source of evangelism in the church. It's been the greatest source of social justice in the church. It's been mm. the greatest source of um, uh, I'm missing one. There's, Educa- there's a education, three there. maybe theology, uh, evangelism, social justice. Okay. Yeah. And anyway, so he said, maybe you should consider, you you and some friends should consider starting something like that. So it began with just some Monday night dinners and us asking God, are you calling us to commit to, to lifetime singleness for the sake of the kingdom? Are you calling us to start some kind of intentional Christian community together to, to, to be a space to do that well? So fast forward to now, we've got five guys living in a house together, um, and uh, we have each made either about to make one-year commitments or have made one-year commitments or have made three-year commitments to this community. Um, And uh, we are all committed to, to to vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom committed to celibacy. Um, We have, uh, we do prayer together every morning. We do uh, confession uh, once a week uh, together. We do uh, three meals a week together. Um, We do some monthly rhythms of kind of, um, Praise and worship together, and we do some holidays and vacations together. We uh, alternate Thanksgivings and Christmases with our biological family versus the Nashville family of brothers. Um, so, kind of when you imagine, well, what, are, what does anyone do between their 5 p.m. and their 9 a.m.? Where do they go find family? Where do they spend their weekends? Well, this is where we do mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and eventually, um, we hope, you know, brothers in a stepwise way might make lifetime
0: commitments to this community is
1: one of the different
0: go ahead i was gonna say it was one of the criteria that you have to be gay or same-sex attracted or is it just that you have to be uh committed to lifelong uh celibacy or singleness
1: yeah so yeah this is a space for for, for any Christian man who feels called to vocational singleness to find family, regardless of sexual orientation. And and we have had, uh, uh, people of a variety of sexual orientations who, who have discerned and who are a part of this. Um, and, um, you know, we, uh, brothers make one year commitments and then three year commitments and then lifetime commitments to the Nashville family of brothers. Although if they don't feel enough confidence to kind of Take the next step, they can repeat that one year or that three year, but we 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 are about, we do want to be on a trajectory towards lifetime commitments, both to celibacy and to this community. So so that's what we're about there. Um so ma- I mean maybe it sounds a little bit like a, a monastery in a kind of yeah. an old school way, but but there's some ways we're different than like a typical monastery. Um we're still a part of our local churches, and we're right. actually from a variety of denominations. Um, so we've got some Catholic guys that have discerned, some Anglican guys, some PCA guys, some Baptists, some non-denominational, some Church of Christ. So there's a lot of variety here. Um, and, and all of us have jobs outside of our home. Okay. Like we're not monks who are making bread and cheese or doing some kind of like nine to five prayer ministry. A lot of us have, uh, non-ministry jobs outside of the home.
0: So, okay. yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, and so, oh, so just to clarify, oh, w- would you allow a female or no, you have to be a, a male?
1: Um, for a variety of reasons, we think that God's calling us to be kind of a, a community of men. Okay. Um, and that's what the, the pastors who are providing oversight for what we're doing think would be wisest, but we've, have been praying for God to raise up a Nashville family of sisters, okay. um, that would kind of parallel what we're doing and that we would have a, you know, really healthy
0: relationships with, um, what are some of the challenges? Like what are some of the um, yeah, challenges and also maybe some of the blessings in in being in part of this community?
1: Yeah. I think the hardest part is that we don't have a lot of models for how, how to do this well. Uh, there, there's no one kind of handing us a formula of this is the wisest way to do vocational singleness in a more ordinary way and still find committed lived uh, in family with in kind of a single sex community of other celibate people. We, we don't have a formula for that. So we're kind of having to figure it out as we go and, and borrow some from history and borrow some from other traditions and also discern and, and pray with, with pastors involved. So I think that's the hardest part is, is, um, is, is we're having to, to kind of uh, trail some uh, blaze some new trails. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's really beautiful is, uh, you know, uh, a number of us have realized, um, you know, maybe some people call to celibacy have this even bigger gift of celibacy that they don't really need human intimacy as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But at least all of the men who've discerned the National Family Brothers feel like that's not the version of the gift of celibacy we got. We still need some kind of healthy mm-hmm. human intimacy, um, and and we need that in a ways that's like this consistent that, that we can depend on that's not just a revolving door of roommates we need mm-hmm. something more permanent you know mm-hmm. and and i would say i think god's made all of us for a permanent human family to help teach us about the permanence of god's love in the trinity between christ and the church so i think that 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 need for some kind of faithful permanent lived in family love
0: mm-hmm.
1: is is intentional i think that's i think we're made for that
0: right
1: um so i think what's really beautiful is that we actually have hope that we're going to find that hmm. uh, when, when many of our peers who think they're called feel are called to celibacy are worried about, well, who am I, who am I going to come home to uh, from from work or from or from a plane flight 10 years from now?
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, will I be alone in my 50s, my 60s? Yeah. Who will who will hold my hand when I'm dying? Mm-hmm. We have hope for who those people are wow. right now. Um, and that's really special. I mean, we're huh. we're, we're spoiled in many ways because I know so many people, either who feel called to singleness or in kind of an involuntary singleness, who live in like dread and fear of those things. Hmm. Um, and we've got hope that, that 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 God's offering us something different.
0: So there's, I'm sure, a lot of people listening. There's a question that people are thinking of. They they might not even would ask it publicly. But how, how do you guys I don't know mitigate or not mitigate but navigate the let me just say it like the, the potential for sexual attraction towards each other. I mean, I, I the only parallel I can give is somebody who's opposite sex attracted is if I was single living in a house with, you know, um, I mean, I guess I can almost compare it to living in a house with like five other single women or something. Doesn't mean sure. just because I'm straight, I'm totally attracted to every single w- woman I see. Most I'm not, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, yeah. What if a couple of them were pretty attractive and and like how would I um, I can imagine that that would be, you know, there'd be a, a difficulty there. And so, um, yeah. How, how do you guys manage that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I don't, I don't see personally, uh, same sex attraction as just opposite sex attraction, but, uh, but a switch that's been flipped. Okay. Um, I think it's a different kind of thing. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, more helpful to think of these are like different switches, that are separated from each other, one does not influenced the other. So, so, and, and one of the ways that same sex attractions are different, at least in my experience, is that um, when I lean into healthy friendship with other men, even if they're men that I might be, uh, might like recognize are, are physically attractive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I lean into healthy friendship with them, my desire for something romantic or sexual with them seems to kind of be less, Temporarily,
0: huh?
1: Um, and and what, what so what that suggests to me is that what I really am desiring with those people is not something romantic or sexual, but is something um, chaste, is hmm. something platonic, is something intimate, but something non-romantic and non-sexual, um, and that hmm. I only perceive that as romantic or sexual when I'm, when I'm not meeting my intimacy needs in healthy ways, it kind of, it kind of gets skewed. It kind of gets, it kind of gets off a bit. And so in, in the National Family Brothers, we try to be intentional about, about having healthy friendships with each other and leaning into healthy intimacy. Um, and, and that, that seems to be the best way to kind of push away, um, the, the possibility, the risk of, um, romantic or or sexual activity in, in, in any way. Uh, we also, I mean, we pra- we practice daily prayer and confession together, mm. and we believe a lot on, on, on as early 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 as we can, shining a light on on the potential for some things like this, and mm. and, and we have. Um, an advisory board of pastors in Nashville who provide oversight for what we do, and so we also are seeking wisdom from them and seeking accountability from them and confessing to them if there's if we think there's even a possibility of something like this in our community. Um, and then, as you've probably talked about, just when we talk about sexual stewardship for any people, um, you know, it, um, if we if we draw the battle lines even farther from that and are and our our diligence there, we're less likely to have issues when it comes to actually kind of crossing boundaries with another person. So what I mean is Hmm. if we're having honest conversations about um, pornography and masturbation Mm -hmm. um, and really holding that line and really holding each other accountable to that, if that's where we're really doing battle earnestly, um, we're much less likely to, to be, to be strongly tempted by crossing boundaries with another person. You see what I'm saying? Um, Yeah lacks boundaries, lacks lacks kind of sexual purity when it comes to pornography and masturbation makes it easier for us to be tempted in a strong way with actually acting out with another person. But but if we push against that that line, even kind of you know, push the, the, the battlefront even farther away from those yeah. kinds of things, um, yeah, it seems to be safer.
0: Well that no if I can yeah, I to tease out your thoughts or make sure I'm following you, I mean I could imagine, you know, somebody who would potentially be concerned about a bunch of gay men living together, um, in a house, I think well, I, th- I would, I would push them to at least consider the opposite. A gay man living by himself, you know, is that going to, um, reduce his temptation, his susceptibility to fall sexually? Because, um, we can find sex p- pretty easily this day. Like if we're actually, um, but again, if you're living a healthy, mature Christian life, which obviously sounds like you guys are Pursuing pretty vigorously. I don't know too many uh, straight Christians who are having like daily prayers and confession in a community together. Like that seems pretty awesome. Um, so it seems like the the spiritual health when you guys are spiritually healthy. And again, I I appreciate you saying we're not perfect, whatever. But like, gosh, you're you're certainly making it a priority. It seems like that would reduce the temptation, the need, the really kind of acting on, you know, your, your attractions rather than if you're just all isolated and single. Um,
1: yeah, you, you gave a better answer than I did. That's, that's (laughs) the right answer. The, 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 what we're not seeking is, is a, is a risk free way to do community because that doesn't exist. The better question is, will this, uh, lead to more sexual purity than living alone?
0: Right. And the right. answer is yes to that. Um, well, I, I'm just I just just came to my head. When I was in college, um, I had got I just recently got saved. I was uh really hungry for Christian fellowship, came out of the world where I was like, Man, I need to be around some good Christian guys, but I didn't want to be around like I was an athlete, I was that guy in high school, you know, and, and some Christian groups I went to, I'm like, uh I gotta be friends with these people, you <laughs> know. Like, it was hard for me, you know, and I get to my Christian college and there's loads of just amazing people like just, and I got put in one of the dorm rooms, a little shout out to slight, uh, room number four, if anybody's listening from masters university and mm-hmm. slight was the name of the dorm and it had communal, it had like uh, four to six people per room. So it was like an old married housing with that like two rooms, bunk beds. So I was in a room with like, maybe four other guys. And we happened to just become friends instantly. Uh, even to this day, we keep in touch. Um, just rich. We'd step up until two in the morning, playing pranks on each other, deep theological conversations, laughing to the point of tears, all this stuff. And I, I remember, you know, if I think back now, and obviously I'm I'm a I'm a single guy at a Christian school, so I'm, you know, I'm on the prowl to find my wife, or whatever. And as every Christian school is, you know. Um, but I, I remember times when I'm like, I would rather be with my guys right now than out on campus, you know, talking to a girl right now. Cause the, 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 the intimacy, the depth, the fellowship was so rich and life-giving. I'm like, I want to be with the guys right now. Like this is just, Um, and and so I could, I I guess that's the only kind of comparison I could have uh, to which you guys maybe experienced to where deep non-sexual intimacy can mitigate aberrant sexual desires or even just sexual desires in general, because that, that there's a connection there, right? Between, I mean, I feel like sexual desire is a subset of a larger need for intimacy. So when that larger need for intimacy is met, it has an effect on the the, the kind of level of sexual desire that you have to kind of discipline, if that makes sense. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> the
1: The connection was a little spotty.
0: Um, uh, okay, sorry. Uh, so, if, y- what would you would you say that sexual desire is a subset of a deeper desire for intimacy? And so, when that deeper desire for non sexual intimacy is met, it has an effect on the level or out of you know the the <laughs> the management of your sexual desire um, in healthy ways.
1: Yeah. So I've definitely seen I mean, obviously, I've got a lot of friends who are not gay. I've got a lot of friends who are straight and Christian. Um, And it's definitely been their testimony that um, even while they're married, when they are not uh, seeking out healthy friendship with other men, in addition to their healthy marriage relationship, they seem to have more problems with temptation for pornography and masturbation. Yeah. But when they are both seeking healthy relationship and intimacy with their wife and they're seeking healthy friendship with other men, they seem to have better victory over mm-hmm. temptation for pornography and masturbation. So, um, so, so, so yeah, I, I, I think kind of regardless of sexual orientation, um, mm-hmm. meeting our intimacy needs in healthy ways and same-sex friendship and opposite-sex friendship, uh, that, that's the formula.
0: And you know, I find oftentimes straight—or sorry, yeah—straight Christian married couples have tried to fu- try to squeeze more intimacy out of the marriage than marriage is actually designed to do. So they try to invest all of their intimate needs there, not in friendship. And that's when I—that this is where I, you know, five years ago I wouldn't have said this, but getting to know healthy celibate gay Christians who are pursuing and and who are in healthy, intimate relationships with other guys or girls, you know, depending on their, who who they are. Um, They've taught me about my need for healthy friendships Um, because yeah, I I don't, again, five years ago, I wouldn't have said this, but I don't think all of our emotional, spiritual needs can be or should be met in a marriage. I don't think that's the design for I don't think that's why God created marriage was to exhaust all of our intimate needs uh, as humans. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder if there'd be less divorce in the church <laughs> if, if we did friendship better mm-hmm. because we had more reasonable expectations of our spouse and, and we weren't uh, expecting them to be perfect in some way or meet all of our needs and then, and then kind of moving on to someone else because they weren't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: yeah, that's good. That's good. So, um, I'm just thinking, like, cause I, I you know, I talked to a lot of churches that are like, man, how can we, as a church, come alongside our gay or same sex attracted brothers and sisters, especially those pursuing singleness. I mean, do you think, uh, do you think if churches kind of sponsored houses like this, like if they had a house, maybe they even offset some of the costs, or just made it very like, hey, we want to go out of our way to Create an opportunity for something like this to happen. Is that something you've seen churches do or would you or would you maybe would you like to see churches do um, take the lead on this kind of communal housing?
1: Yeah, I think that'd be great. I mean, so the beginning of the story I shared about the Nashville family of brothers was was my pastor. Kind of inspiring, giving the idea for this, um, mm-hmm. and he's been involved throughout this process in um, kind of coaching us and um, and and processing with us when we are d- dealing with difficult moments and and uh, when we've made kind of public commitments to. Uh, to to celibacy and to the community and, and to to family and to the kind of the way of life that we do together, uh, we did those in a church and he was there and he was in his collar and he laid hands on on on, <laughs> on each of us individually as we went up and kind of made those commitments to the to those gathered. Um, really, so like this was a this, really this was abundant. a
0: this was a public kind of uh, church thing that was going on. Wow, that's awesome, that's fantastic. Yeah, and
1: we had a big reception afterwards. And because we're in a, an Anglican church, we had alcohol. And uh, so we, we had some drinks and played some games and, listened, and had some music playing. And it was, it was a really good time. So yeah. yeah, I think churches can be a big part of this. And I think it's really important. I think these communities will be healthier and this work will be healthier at churches if they don't frame this as the solution for gay people, but instead yeah. they frame this as the solution for those called to celibacy, regardless of their sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and invite more straight people to consider if they might be called to the singleness of Jesus or Paul. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. when we can move this out, when we can kind of disconnect celibacy from being gay, Mm -hmm. um, it'll be a healthier thing for, for celibate straight people and gay people.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's uh, um, I'm not sure the Protestant church is ready for that. (laughs) I think it, but um well have have you met maybe more or any <laughs> single straight people who would like to be in a relationship? It's not like they are just hyper introverts, but they're like, no i i I feel called to pursue celibacy. have you do you know anybody like that that's straight?
1: Yeah, definitely some. I mean, I have a number of 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 straight friends right now who are are considering that possibility who are discerning that or who are asking that question of God, do you want me to kind of live single for the sake of the kingdom for a time do you want me to commit mm-hmm. to living single for the sake of the kingdom for for longer um, you know I there's obviously we know that like the marriage rates in our churches are are, are going down mm-hmm. um, and I think some churches have responded to that by saying well we need to just push push marriage more and, and push and push everyone push marriage is the only option mm-hmm. and, and and they're afraid that any conversation about the possibility of vocational singleness leads to less people getting married. And what I want to suggest is if we invited all of the young adults in our churches to to intentionally discern whether God is calling them to marriage or vocational singleness and really push them um, to ask God what God's best might be for them, that'll lead to more people getting married and more people committing to vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Because we need more of both, right? We, we, need, we need less Christians kind of languishing and uncommitted singleness in our churches. And we need more Christian marriage and more committed singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think discernment is the way to do that.
0: Yeah, man, that's good. Um I read a study somewhere or a survey a while back that like for the first time in modern history, uh, the percentage of single people of marital age has surpassed a percentage of married people of marital age. This is a society, not not in the church. And in the church, it might be not that high, but e- either way, i mean, a church that doesn't have a robust theology of singleness is going to be profoundly irrelevant <laughs> to 50%. I think the, the percentage is like 50% of people are single of marital age. I mean, maybe, you know, like 22 to 38 or something like that. They're still single. Maybe they get married later on or whatever. Um, maybe they don't at all. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I mean, I think more than ever, I mean, and I'm preaching to the choir here, but I mean, I think we've long overdue to cultivate a healthier, uh, theology of of singleness. I mean, the fact that, and I've said this before, the fact that Jesus was a a merit, a, man, a single man of marital age, has serious theological significance. Um, and I think the, I'll I'll just flat out say, it, I think the heretical Christian assumption. Is well, he's Jesus. He can't get married and have sex. It's like, wait, wait. Since when did marriage and sex within marriage become sin? Wasn't that a Genesis one and two thing? Wasn't that the very first commandment? Be fruitful and multiply. Does Jesus not um, have the possibility as a sinless Savior to get married and and bear children or whatever? Like, I know that gets messy, but um, I I, we can't say, oh, it's because he's God why he didn't get married. Like he, you know, like well, well, he was also one hundred percent man, and and I. yeah. Anyway, I, I think that there's there's theological significance to, uh, uh, for Jesus' singleness that we have not appreciated as a Protestant church. Um, the Anglican church, I wonder, because Anglican has kind of a couple toes in the Catholic world, it seems like, um, at least in practice and theology a little bit. Do you find the Anglican church having a better theology of singleness?
1: Uh, a little bit or at least their their sensibilities make them a little less afraid of Catholic seeming things um and there is a there's, there's there there are some uh there's a history of, of of Anglican and Episcopal kind of monasteries and monks and that kind of stuff so uh it's a mix it's a mix yeah
0: there was a recent statement you sent it to me and, and that triggered my thought I don't know if I looked at it was there a recent statement on I'm gonna try and pull it up here the Anglican Church mm-hmm. and um Let's see if I have it here. No, that's not it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, right here. Dear Gay yeah, Anglicans kind of like whole- Social Guide. What? What?
1: What? Can you? It's kind of like a drama around all of that. I don't know if we, if it, how helpful it would be to get into
0: it here. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> like- can you ex- maybe don't give an opinion, but can you explain what it is and what the drama is? Do you feel comfortable doing that, or just from a neutral standpoint?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I, I can say briefly that. Um, I mean, as we've probably seen over the past five or six years a number of conservative uh mainline protestant denominations have felt the need both to reaffirm a traditional sexual ethic and particularly comment on this uh kind of a sexuality identity language conversation um Mm -hmm. i would say for the sake of kind of culture war pressures um and the southern baptist convention did that with the national statement and the uh, PCA did that with the PCA report, and so the Anglican Church in the North, in North America have recently done that with uh, with a with a, a kind of um, a denominational level statement that, that came out about two months ago. And, and there's some of us uh, in in the the Anglican Church in North America who um, who were were afraid how that uh, denominational statement might be perceived, particularly by. Gay agnostics curious about getting to know Jesus in an Anglican context, and and gay Christians committed to a traditional sexual ethics. So we recently uh, tried to send a positive message to those uh, audiences in particular to let them know that there are Anglican churches where where they are welcome uh, and and where and where their their language won't be policed. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's a whole longer conversation. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's fine, and I I don't want to yeah d- draw you into something here publicly, but so the statement is um, it's an Anglican version, it's a, a Anglican. Uh, this is a bad way of saying it, but I'll just say it and answer the emails later. It's an Anglican version of the national statement, or an Anglic- Anglican attempt to to do their own kind of like here's our public statement. Is that? Okay. Yeah, and,
1: yeah, or, or yeah, or an Anglican version of the the PCA report that came out last March. Got it. So okay. kind of an analog to those two in a way. Yeah.
0: I know the CRC Christian Reformed Church is going through a lot of stuff, and they they've released statements uh, more more I think for internal use. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of I'm sure the RCA I know they're Reformed Church of America they're going through stuff. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is man. Yeah, my heart goes out to these denominations, man. That's not easy to manage this conversation, you know, and, and the role of statements is particularly touchy. Um, statements are, they lack oftentimes relational sensitivity and nuance Then you typically have committees that are in charge of them. People are on different spectrums. Then you have the politics, denominational politics and money and old guard and young guard. It's just, it's, uh, I don't envy people who are involved in in that sort of thing to get a bunch of people across a spectrum of kind of views to agree on a single statement's not my cup of yeah, tea man but um yeah, yeah yeah okay i'll check it out it work when you find it the cuz i do need to read through it um dear gay anglicans is that the or no
1: yeah so that uh that's some of the some of the controversy is is there was an open letter signed by uh okay. two bishops and uh and and five different canon theologians and uh and a, and a bunch of anglican clergy and the the open letter was hosted on deargayanglicans.com um and then for a variety of denominational politic, politics reasons we i was we were asked to take it down um oh, okay. and and complied with that that request from a bishop so okay. um it's 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 complicated um, no, i can no. send you kind of privately uh, a url to a web archive of the letter if you're curious and i can send you a url to the the, the denominational statement that came out two months ago um, that is is in some ways related. So
0: okay, yeah, yeah. I like to I just like to be kind of be aware of what's going on, but yeah, yeah. Sure. Anyway, um, where can people find you and your work? Uh, yeah, talk to us really quickly before we close about equip, and if anybody's in the Nashville area, they absolutely need to know about your ministry there. So yeah, tell us a bit about how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, uh, our website is equipyourcommunity
1: dot org. And you can email us at info at equipyourcommunity.org. And then I think our uh, we're on Instagram and uh, Facebook, and I think the handles are at equipyourcommunity.org. Or excuse me, at equipyourcommunity are the okay. handles. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to stay in touch with, 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 with kind of me and the ways that I'm kind of speaking into some of these topics, uh, my handles on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are... Uh, my first name and then my middle initial L and then my last name. So P I E T E R L V as in Victor, a L K. And, but if you are particularly curious about this Nashville family of brothers idea, um, we, you can go to familyofbrothers.org. of okay. brothers.org.
0: Um,
1: and you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram. And I think our handle is at, Nashville family of brothers.
0: Hard to keep um, up with all the so, handles, man.
1: <laughs> yes, there's a lot. I'm, cu- um,
0: I'm curious. I, there might be some people listening. They're like, dude, I would move to Nashville if I could be a part of this. Is that, have you had people hear about it from a distance and want to fly and move to Nashville just to be a part of this? And is that a possibility for people? Are you guys maxed out? Or
1: Yeah, we've got a guy in the house right now who moved here from Chicago a year ago. Okay, we've got a guy in the house right now who moved here from Dallas three months ago. We've got a guy who might move here from Chattanooga in a couple of months, another guy who might move from Orlando in, wow. in like half a year. So um, uh, yeah, would love for people to reach out. Uh, we kind of have a, a formal way that people explore from a distance, whether the Nashville Family Brothers is for them. They they read through our community covenant with us and they join us for some discernment discussions and get to know some of the brothers. and. Particularly as we get a little farther into kind of people getting vaccinated and uh, we, we invite people to come hang out with us for kind of weekend retreats to get to know current brothers. Uh, so, um, yeah, so there's there's we definitely want this to grow. Also, if there's anyone out there who says this sounds great, but I'd like to start this in my city with some people I know, uh, I would love for there to be a uh, a, uh, you know, Missoula family of brothers, <laughs> and uh, an Atlanta family of brothers, and a Boston family of brothers, and an L.A. family of brothers. So if anyone's interested in starting something similar and you want any help kind of brainstorming that, or even some, I can, I'm happy to provide some free coaching toward that uh, to make that happen. I would love, I mean, we need these kinds of solutions mm-hmm. uh, in, in our cities and, and available to our churches. So I'd love to help however I can.
0: Thanks, Peter, for being on the and Rod. You guys check out his work, it's great stuff. Especially if you're in the national community Nashville the greater Nashville area if you're involved in the church we'd love to dive into the conversation about faith sexuality and gender I mean I I know Peter's ministry pretty well and they just do amazing amazing work so if you're um yeah if you're a church that wants to bring Peter in check out his website and go from there so thanks so much Peter for being on Theology in man. thanks for having me